Good morning, everyone. I'm Dexter Hamilton, and I'm one of the elders here. Um, this is my first time presenting um, as the speaker of the hour, so I hope that you'll um, um, pray for me. And let us pray together. Most merciful and everlasting Father. You are so gracious to us. But even before that, you are sovereign. I pray, dear Lord, that you will bathe this place with your Holy Spirit. Give us this desire to understand who you are just as you are, not as we want you to be or as we imagine, but exactly as you are. And give us a heart to accept you and to praise you and to desire you just as you are. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. So I had the pleasure of teaching um, Sunday school to the children, which was um, an adventure, and I think I learned more uh, than, than they did, perhaps. Um, I taught a class of third, fourth, and fifth graders kind of all together. And we started in Genesis. But the concept that we started with first, for everything else, was sovereignty. And that God has the right to do whatever he wants to do. So I say that because um, we're going to need that for, for this message. But just remember that God has the right to do whatever he wants to do. The text is from the book of Ephesians, the second chapter. And there's a lot in there, and there's a lot um, in that letter to the church of Ephesus, which was a very important city in the Roman Empire. It was the center of commerce. Um, there were a lot of other gods <laughs> that were involved in that place. And it was a pivotal place for the Apostle Paul in the early church. And there's so much in there, um, but we're going to look at Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 10. And why don't we, uh, we'll read that through, and then I'll go back and, and speak about some of the sections individually. As you know, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order in the coming ages he might show his comparable, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let's read that one again from verse 6. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's so much in this, um, in this segment. So I dutifully started studying about salvation in Christ, with Christ, and I came across um, some teachings that there were 15 salvation terms um, that were associated with salvation. So conversion, substitution, reconciliation, propitiation, regeneration, adoption, justification, glorification, and um, it was too much for me. So, <laughs> and if, um, if I would have had to try to research these and learn them so that I could speak intelligently about them and harmonize them and figure them all out, this would be a Christmas message or perhaps an Easter 2019 message. So, the Holy Spirit led me to uh, the point of this message, which is, it's all about God, it's all about God, it's all about God. Even our salvation is about God and for his glory. We think our salvation is about us and just for us. Now, that includes us, obviously. But the core of it all, even in our salvation, is that it's all about God and his glory. So we, as believers, so Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. He's writing to believers. And when God interacts with us today... Um, we often think about the things that concern us. So we think about the blessings we receive, the challenges we face, the mercy we receive, the deliverance we're granted, the sufferings we endure, the questions we have, the accomplishments we experience, the generosity we are given. And often our focus is us and how God is relating to us. But these things are not about us. These things are about God and God glorifying himself. God is going to glorify himself and keep his promises to himself. And as believers in Christ, we are the undeserving beneficiaries of his immeasurable grace and love. And that's phenomenal. And that's great. And we, and, and we should be happy, but it's all about God glorifying himself. So where does it start for us? It starts for us. Can we look at 
um, verse 1 through 3, it starts for us with sin. It starts for us with our need for a Savior. So if we look at 1 through 3 again, uh, it reads, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So that's where it begins for us, with transgressions and sins. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Why were we deserving of wrath? Because God is going to glorify himself, and he's holy. He created us for fellowship with him, but that fellowship was broken through sin, through Adam's sin. And it can continue to be broken through our sin. But God must judge sin. There must be a payment. There must be a sacrifice. So for us, it starts with sin and our sin that has separated us. So it's not just eternal forces. It's us. It's you. It's me. But God did what no one else could do because he has a desire for fellowship with us. He has a desire that to be reconciled with us. He has desire to show the most magnificent gift of all the universe and all imaginable. That he's going to take these undeserving folks, us, and bestow upon them his very righteousness. Just imagine that. Imagine that. Only he could do that. Let's look at verses four to five. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. Made alive, life, those words are connected And in the New Testament, there's sort of three concepts that circle around a life and a life. One is similar to biology. I'm not going to dig precisely into the Greek because too many of you know much more Greek than I do. But I'll I'll give you the concepts because the Holy Spirit said, stay there, that's safe. (laughs) One is biology. So what's this life? What's this alive? Um, living beings, animals, plants, insects. They, that's life. They're alive. But when we're talking about being alive with Christ, being alive in Christ, we're not talking about the same kind of life that a plant might have or an animal might have. There's another concept of life and alive that relates to in the area of your soul, your mind, your emotions. So that's us. That's unique to people. 
And that's life, but it's not the same life um, that God gives in Christ or with Christ. That's the concept where we get psychology from. That's kind of personal to people, to human beings. But then there's the life that we get with Jesus. Then there is the life that we get in Christ, with Christ. Then there's the life that when Jesus took on the sins of all humanity, died, conquered them, came back from the dead, and brought us back, those who believe, brought us back with him, that's the life that God gives us. That's the uncreated divine life uniquely possessed by God. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the life that Christ gives us. That's the generous gift that no one else can boast about. Let's take a look at verses um, 6 through 10. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And this is what we read before. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God saved us for his glory. God saved us because he is deserving of glory. I'm thankful for the songs that we um, got to participate in in the worship time because it, it, draw, it drove the point home many times. God saved us for his glory because he's sovereign and he has the right to do what he wants to do. He has the right. He is entitled to be glorified. He's entitled to be glorified. Now, there are other examples of this. Um, we don't have to turn there, but um, well, why, don't, why, don't, why don't we go there? Can you get us um, Exodus 6, 28 and 30, and over into... Seven. So we can set this. We can set the stage. Um, Israel was captive in in Egypt, and they were crying for deliverance. And God selected Moses uh, to deliver them. And we'll, we'll pick it up here. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, He said to him, "I am the Lord." Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses was a, was a bit reluctant, right? But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Moving over into chapter 7 of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, 
I have made you like a god to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with the mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out. God said he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So there were ten plagues, and if you read all the entirety of the plagues, sometimes Pharaoh was like getting the message. He was getting the message a couple of times. But then it says at least eight or nine or maybe ten times, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, Pharaoh hardened his heart a couple of times on his own, but many times it said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why? Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? We know right here. It's so that Egypt will know who is the God of Israel. There's not going to be any mistake about it. I'm going to pick Moses, this guy who doesn't speak well, I'm going to um, visit these calamities upon uh, Egypt. Pharaoh might want to say, okay, this is too much. Let these people out of here. But then God says, I'm going to harden their heart. Why? Because God wanted everyone to know who was delivering Israel. It was him, and he wanted to be glorified. And if we look at throughout the rest of the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, that comes back. Aren't I the God who led you out of the land of Egypt? God reminds us of that. God reminds us of that. Because God wants to be glorified. Now I was a little c concerned about this, and I saw I had some good company with a few other scholars, so that put me a little more uh, at ease. <laughs> I did find um, an article by John Piper, and uh, the title was a little concerning. It says, is God for us or for himself? Now, we know the answer to that. God is, is both. But he starts out being for himself, right? But he's also for us. But he starts off being for himself. And it reads, God does not merely wait to be exalted for his power and righteousness and mercy. He has taken the initiative from all eternity to exalt his own name in the earth and to display his glory. Everything he does is motivated by his desire to be glorified. Now that may turn some people off. And um, there are even some commentators who take on that position. But that's why we start out with the definition of sovereignty. God has the right to do whatever he wants to do. Those of you who might be fans of the Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, in chapter 7, uh, he starts off, the reason for everything. And then it says, it's all for him. 
ultimate goal of the universe is to show the glory of God. It is the reason for everything that exists, including you. God made it all for his glory. Without God's glory, there would be nothing. not be uh, discouraged or annoyed, and that's why we prayed at the beginning, we want, to, uh, we want to accept God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty over us. God's sovereignty over what happens to us. God's sovereignty over the way that he decides to plot, plot the course of our life. I, I guess I'd like to, as I was thinking about this, preparing this, I was thinking, well, life is full of, our, you know, in the 21st century, we've got all kinds of choices, all kinds of conveniences. And I have become that middle-aged, borderline, older man telling these, telling these sort of horror stories that I can remember when I was a little kid. So here's a couple of them. We have a lot of choices and convenience, but I can remember, and I think a few of you also can remember, um, when the only TV in the house was a modest, modest black and white TV that only had three or four channels that you had to walk across the room to, to change the channel. Now, I'm, I know some of the younger people are like, that's a, you know, that, that must be like a ghost story. It really couldn't have been that way. It's not a ghost story. It's actually true. <laughs> now you don't even have to go to the store, right? You can order things online. Um, you can date electronically. Newsflash to young people, it's much more fun dating in person. <laughs> if I'm old-fashioned, I'm not giving up that one, right? But you can order your coffee in advance. We're going to have driverless cars. Um, I saw, I heard something this morning, just this morning, um, of the, the thought that facial recognition technology, uh, some people think, could mean the end of uh, door keys, car keys, passports, credit cards, even currency. They'll just flash your face and they'll have everything they need to know from your face and that all your security will be in the facial recognition technology. And I won't sort of pick on the 21st century. Um, mankind has always wanted convenience, always wanted choices. But when we interact with a sovereign God who's going to be glorified, who must be glorified, we're interacting, and we've been saved, and we're loved by this generous, loving, immeasurably uh, benevolent God who limits choices, who limits choices. So it's not just the 21st century to wrestle, wrestle with that. Mankind always wrestles with submission, surrender, the limiting of choices. 
So how do we deal with? How do we interact with? This sovereign God who limits choices, but, but is the only one who can guarantee happiness, peace, eternal life, and joy, and security. The only one. For all our knowledge and understanding and learning, we can't guarantee any of these things. But God can. But I suspect that under the sound of my voice, there's any number of people existing on one of the countless points of the continuum of our interaction with God. I would presume that some don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And in a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to pray with someone, um, to ask, to admit that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way to have a relationship with an all-loving and wonderful God and to ask Jesus into your heart. But even amongst those who are saved, who've asked Jesus into their heart, there are those of us who've kind of put Christ on the shelf, put God on the shelf. Even though the Holy Spirit is pursuing us, there's some of us who just don't have time, have too many questions, too many disagreements, too many doubts, too many other things to do. In a few moments, you're going to be able to pray with someone and ask God to help you to accept the fact that he's sovereign and that he loves you and that he died for you, and he's got a wonderful life for you, and he's the only one who can guarantee your happiness, your peace, eternal joy. I assume that there are some of us who we make an effort. God's not on the shelf. We're involved in ministry. We're surrendered to a point. But we still have doubts. We still have questions. We still have disagreements. There's going to be a time in a few moments where you can come up and have someone to pray with you. To ask you to help. To ask God to help you accept who he is and his sovereignty and the plan that he has for your life. One of the things that was really, really refreshing and, and good when I was teaching the third through fifth graders in Sunday school, we would have a discussion from time to time, and I said, aren't you glad that God's in charge of everything? You wouldn't, you don't want, you wouldn't really want to be in charge of everything, right? You really wouldn't. And you wouldn't really want anybody else to be in charge of anything. Thanks be to God that a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-loving God is in charge of everything. Thanks be to God. 
So whenever we had these thoughts, well, you know, what about this, what about that? Thanks be to God that he is in control of everything. Thanks be to God that he prioritizes his glory first. And to the extent we can be willing and cooperative instruments of his glory, then we're fulfilling his will. And then there's those of us who, you know, God's not on the shelf. We don't have any serious doubts. we're, We're submissive. We try to be centered in God's will. We don't take that for granted, right? We don't take that for granted. We always need to be seeking the Lord that these things stay consistent. So if we, I'm going to close in a minute, um, because there's nothing that we add to our salvation. Jesus' work on the cross was 100% God. If we look at verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Here's God glorifying himself again, right? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So even if you are the submissive Christian, even if you're fulfilling your role as husband, as father, as wife, as daughter, as child, as single person, like really sold out for the Lord, even if you're doing all those things, you're feeding the poor, you're praying for people, you're active in church, you're witnessing, 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 you're doing all those things, don't get comfortable. Why? Because these, you're still God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, what? Which God prepared in advance for you to do. Which God prepared in advance for you to do. So in a few moments, if you're in that category, um, you can come up and if you would like, and have someone pray for you, um, that that grounding uh, is consistent. Don't take it for granted, because it's not you, right? It's not you. So we all need the Lord. We all need Jesus. We all need the Holy Spirit with us daily, pushing us, encouraging us, convicting us to stay and remain in God's will. Amen? Amen. If the worship team um, would come up.